I've been wanting to speak to Chris Manning for quite a while now. On Instagram, he is known as Mindfulness Man. And if you've listened to this podcast, if you read any of the stuff I write, you'll know I'm all about mindfulness. Uh, but I had a sense that I had done mindfulness to death a little bit. I've spoken to quite a few people already about it. And, you know, it's good to keep things varied. This, this podcast, it's got a new name now. And the name is Being Better, about how to be and how to be better. And that's not just about mindfulness, that covers all kinds of things. Um, and so I thought it was time to maybe take a break from mindfulness. But then um, Chris posted something on his Facebook group, which is called uh, Mindfulness in Daily Life. Uh, and it was from this book, which is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. This has been quite an influential book in my life, and there are a lot of things in here which I have taken away. But the thing that Chris talked about was uh, this thing called the sphere of concern. So where we place our energy, the things we worry about, all this kind of stuff. And then there is a, another sphere or circle called the circle of influence. So you have the, the sphere of concern and the sphere of influence. And our influence is the things we can actually change. So on the one hand, we have all the things we're worried about. On the other hand, we have all the things that we can change. And the more active we become in that, that sphere of influence, the things we can change, the smaller our sphere of concern gets. And Chris posted something on his Facebook group that immediately attracted my attention about this uh, because that whole notion of the sphere of concern and the sphere of influence um, hadn't really resonated with me very much. So I wanted to find out more about it. So I reached out to Chris finally, and we uh, sat down for a Zoom chat about um, these two ideas and then we got into some other areas of mindfulness and it just kind of went off on its own and it's a great conversation we touch on lots of things and uh, we could have gone on for hours but you know time is always uh, an issue with these things so I hope you enjoy it like I said this podcast I've given it a new name you might notice some changes over the last few um, episodes uh, it's got a new theme tune and it's got a new name it's uh, called uh, being better. So the whole point of this is that I've been on a journey for a few years now in terms of going from a place where I felt completely powerless in my life to a place where I'm beginning to feel like actually I'm starting to own it a little bit. And it's my journey uh, talking to people about all the different things you can do in order to find the confidence, overcome those internal obstacles to taking control and owning your own life and really living. And uh, I hope you appreciate that. I also kind of rebranded my uh, videos for this as well. So I hope you enjoy uh, this conversation with me and Chris Manning. And I hope you will stick with the podcast. Uh, subscribe, rate it if you like it. Uh, because every episode we're speaking to more interesting people. And I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end. But in the meantime, here's me talking to Chris Manning about, about spheres and circles of concern and influence from this book by Stephen R. Covey and then we get into um, some other areas about mindfulness as well. All right, cheers. Okay, so Chris Manning, you are the man behind uh, the Facebook group uh, Mindfulness in Everyday Life. You go by the handle Mindfulness Man on Instagram and various um, social accounts. And we've talked about, or I've talked about mindfulness quite a lot on this podcast already. But it's the, it's the kind of everyday life bit that I find really interesting because, um, you know, people think about mindfulness, they, they kind of 
there is this image of it that it is a bit a bit woo woo a bit kind of you know people who've got nothing better to do sitting around meditating all day long um but actually it's it's a practical skill isn't it to to getting by in life and and kind of just owning life i would say um what's your what's your angle if you like where do you come from with <clears throat> mindfulness well i actually love the woo woo yeah. <laughs> i'm all about the woo woo <laughs> um i i come i come at mindfulness from um years you know like 16 or so years of Buddhism and yoga and all of that. So it's that side of it, the spiritual side that got me interested really. Okay. Um, looking to attempt to attain enlightenment. Um, I actually wanted to be a monk. I had two small children. I was um, married, recently married. And I then discovered um, Buddhism in a big way and I went from being quite happily married with two kids to wanting to become a monk <laughs> and how did that go and down with the, the you know how did that fit in with the two kids and and being not well at all okay not well at all I, I was running off to retreats the whole time I was meditating four or five hours a day um I got addicted. I fully was committed to that. I had endless arguments with my wife. Because um, you would have thought so, that all of these practices are supposed to make your life easier in a way. It's that kind of yeah. detachment from suffering. Um, but it sounds yeah. like it actually made your life a lot, lot harder. It, it did make it much harder, actually. Um, there's, there's a chant um, in Buddhism, and it says, beautiful in the middle, sorry, beautiful in the beginning, beautiful in the middle, and beautiful in the end. But mine was really quite a disaster in the beginning. <laughs> and I think one of the reasons was, you know, I have, I've had anxiety and depression, undiagnosed, I, yeah. but I now know, um, all my life. And then this came along, I started meditating and I just felt amazing. All my worldly ambition dropped away. Um, I just, I was single focused on this goal of meditation, nothing else mattered. And it, it's really selfish when I look back, but I, I saw a way to a better life. And I just, I just dived in, I just dove in like, feet first yeah um so yeah it's it it's always been the spiritual side and as much as i appreciate secular mindfulness i think it's great what it can do i also think that they're just the side effects there's something much much bigger going on than getting rid of um anxiety and all the rest of it there's something much bigger occurring what do you think that is? Um, I think it's in us all, really. The, the desire to self-actualize, to, to fully understand what we are. And as you start meditating, you get glimpses of this 
especially if you meditate seriously. If you're meditating for hours, you, you reach quite extraordinary states and you're opening a door in many senses and a door that's never been opened. I guess a lot like psychedelics would be. Um, so you're seeing into a world of immense potential and you, you're drawn in. You want more and more of it. Do you think that, I mean, I have a kind of a feeling that, um, and I had this conversation yesterday, I spoke to Martha Beck, who is a, one of America's kind of best known life coaches. And she um, I had this conversation about how the world we live in and this kind of system of um, nine to five, Monday to Friday, you know, voting the voting for whoever you believe in, going to the supermarket, you know, this, this man-made system that we're a part of yeah. is very, very processed. And if you eat um, a lot of processed foods, you upset your kind of natural um, biological state. And similarly, when we're, we're going about our day in this highly processed way, we're upsetting our natural spiritual state. But, you know, you talk about opening this door to something much, much deeper. Can that be compatible with the, the very much so you know, where we need to very, be life? yeah very very much so um <clears throat> the thing is i think it a lot of it depends on where you're coming from but when it first hits it's you get this taste of emancipation and well at least i did yeah it, it, it's different for different people um <clears throat> But eventually, you do learn how to integrate that into your daily life, um, which is why I called the, the group Mindfulness in Daily Life, because it's got so many benefits, so many incredible benefits to your everyday. You pull yourself out of holes you wouldn't otherwise see yourself digging. You know, you're, you're, you can feel yourself going the wrong way and you can stop. I like, we were talking earlier, um, you and I, mm. about the seven habits. And I love something that Stephen Covey says and he nails that's mindfulness. That's the book. Yeah, this book. Um, just if anyone's listening and they can't see me holding up this book, it's, um, I, I kind of got myself into a bit of a, a dark place for a period and then started reading self-help books. And um, a few of them, I kind of plateaued a bit with them. So I, I kind of read a few and they, they had a big impact on me. And after that, some of the books that I was reading didn't have such a big impact anymore. But one of the ones that really made a big difference was it's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. And it's, it's basically um, ways of looking at your life and how to become more effective in um, your own transformation from someone who's out of control and not in control of your life to taking control of your life. And there was one bit that didn't really stick with me. And that was this um, spheres of influence and spheres of um, uh, spheres of kind of control. And I didn't quite get my head around that, but you were, you started posting something about that. And I thought I would yeah. like to know more. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'll, I'll come on to that definitely in one sec. Um, but where I see mindfulness and, and this seven habits relating is something that Stephen Covey says, which is in between stimulus 
and response, there is a space. So something happens and we react, we yeah. respond. Um, <clears throat> but this space is where I'm interested in because something happens. The other day, for instance, I got stung by a wasp. Now, a reaction would be kill it, um, freak out, scream, whatever. And I just felt the pain. Yeah. I did nothing about it. I didn't react. I picked up a piece of paper, caught it, and let it out. I risked being stung again, which was fine. It hurt. My legs swole up. But I didn't add anything to that. So the Buddha talks about the second dart. So you've got the first dart, um, which is the pain of life. It's inevitable. Pain is inevitable in this life. Yeah. But that's not the pain that does the damage. What the, the damage comes from what we do with that, re, that pain, how we react to it. <clears throat> and that was living proof. I, yes, it hurt, but I added nothing to it. I yeah. was like, completely fine. It's okay. Yeah. So it's throbbing. That's fine. I mean, this is um, something that, you know, we, we, there's so much that we hide behind. Um, and that, that is the output. You talk about the kind of stimulus and the, the output, the input and the output. And I've been writing about this today um, on something else. But this output often becomes something we get so attached to that we think it is us. Whereas... Yeah we are somewhere actually in, in between the two. The, the real us is somewhere in yes. between. So this, this whole idea of output, you know, someone says something and you re react angrily. And so you kind of say, well, I'm just an angry person. Or someone kind of pushes your buttons and you, you retreat and you say, well, I'm just not confident enough. And they, yeah. they become kind of masks that you attach yourself to because you don't know what else to attach yourself to. But actually, you're you're in that space. The real you is is somewhere in that space. Yeah, absolutely. I would say this space that he's talking about is what mindfulness is all about. It's that things occurring around us, stimulus, and normally there is this space, but people just go into a groove and off they go. You know, somebody presses a button and reaction. Yeah. But mindfulness really widens this space and you get to choose you sit in this space which as you've just been um referring to is kind of your true nature so you're in this space and you can make a decision which way do i want to go do i want to get angry do i want to scream and shout or do i want to do i want to maybe not even communicate do i want to be silent it's um yeah it's incredible I mean, how, I mean, you've obviously been doing this for a very long time, this kind of recognizing this inner process within you. So you, you get stung by the wasp and then you are well, well trained in halting that, that almost automatic process. But does, does it mean you have to be on guard every minute of the day to try and catch yourself <clears throat> out almost and catch your, your automatic um, processes or can you just slow things down and, you know, just let it, let that interruption, you know, become natural. Do you see what I mean? Yes, I see. Because it sounds like hard work. Yeah, yeah, I knew that's what you were getting at. Yeah. So, and I've heard, I, I've read something once about 
this guy he'd done a couple of years of mindfulness and he said i gave it up it was just exhausting you know to always be on guard like you said yeah it's just too much work but i would say that he completely misunderstood it and perhaps didn't even experience it at the level um where it is emancipating and for me let me think about this for a moment so <clears throat> for me it's a mental freedom it means i'm not wasting if, if i do a lot of practice if i'm meditating for two or three hours a day my energy levels are huge because all of this baggage we're carrying around with us all the time we just drop it we're just constantly dropping the baggage all the time dropping it so we travel much lighter so we have much more energy the mind's not being taken up and used with all of this stuff that we don't want that this worry of opinions about us this insult that occurred we can just drop it all and be here centered in our presence with none of that extra weight and that's really really freeing i mean big there's this this whole idea of the kind of um circle of influence so yes. we, there are the way i kind of see things generally is there are things we can control and things we can't control so we, we yeah. can control with with practice and with a little bit of effort what we think what we feel and, and what we do so those are the, the three things that we can actually those are pretty much the only three things we can control we can't control what other people think we can't control whether it's going to rain today or tomorrow we can't control if we're going to cross the road and someone's gonna you know a bus is going to come and we're looking the wrong way or something like that <clears throat> by learning to control these three things we can actually start to influence have some effect on the other things that we can't control because of the way we're turning up in the world so you know if you if you're stomping around and you're a terrible angry person and you're hiding behind this mask of anger the world will reflect that energy back to you because you're going to be upsetting people and you're going you know not you're bashing about knocking things over you know you've just broken your mug that makes you even more angry you know and it's this kind of feedback loop whereas if you're you know going around with positive good energy then you you know you're you it's like when you smile at someone, they smile back and it's that same kind of thing. So you start to have this, you start to see opportunities, you start to see things going more in your direction. In practical sense, has your life improved for, as, as a result of this kind of inner practice? Has your business um, improved? And yeah, the circle of um, influence versus the circle of concern. Right. Very much so. Very much so. In fact, my wife, if, if she ever sees me, um, because I've taught it to her, yeah. I've, taught, I've taught this to so many people. In fact, I taught it um, to a good friend and he, he lives by, by it as if it's a Bible to him. Yeah. <clears throat> I can see myself now and I can ask which circle am I in? Am I in the circle of concern or am I in the circle of influence and it's just so clear if you're doing something that 
as you say, is out of your control, worry and stressing about things, you're definitely in the wrong circle. And Stephen Covey says something quite amazing, which is the more you put your energy into your circle of influence, the bigger it grows. So there's outward arrows. Yeah. That energy increases and you gain more influence and more influence no matter how small you start. And the opposite is also true. If you're in the circle of concern, all the time those arrows are coming in and making smaller your circle of influence. The classic example would be <clears throat> so you're forgive me i've lost my train of thought on that well, well while, while, we're, while we're getting it back so this the circle of concern is things that we're worried about perhaps that we have no control over yeah that right this, yeah. this is where i think stephen covey lost me a little bit so you have this yeah. this one circle and then the circle of influence is the stuff we can actually do so we can we can you know go to the gym we can um be uh, more active in our listening when we have a conversation we can um you know focus on our, our well-being our strengths rather than our weaknesses and just all of those kind of things and, and the more we so what you're saying is the more we focus in on that that circle of influence the smaller the circle of concern gets because we're actually starting to take ownership yes okay yeah so it expands and yeah, you're, you're in that circle and it's growing the whole time. People are gaining a faith in you, for instance. Yeah. And so therefore, tasks which they may not have given you before, they're now trusting you because your influence is growing. Yeah. Because and I suppose when, when your circle of influence is very small, that's when you feel disconnected from life. You feel powerless, worthless, yeah. because you, yeah. you, you don't feel like you have any control over what's happening to you. Yeah, absolutely. He also speaks um, about it the other way. And he uses um, retired people who have become rich as having a huge circle of influence, but they don't really care. Yeah. You know, their compassion is quite small. They're like, you know, they've become selfish because their whole life has been about them and their great big influence. So there actually does need to be some balance there. How do you, ma how do you manage that? Because, I mean, all of this kind of self-work, if you want to call it, this kind of looking inside. I mean, like, like you said at the very beginning, you, would, you were meditating for hours and hours on end and disappearing off to retreats. And it, it did actually cause some friction and upset in your in, in your life, in your circle of influence or whatever, sort of, or circle of concern. So how do you balance that, that kind of focus on yourself without becoming completely selfish and without, you know, without stomping on other people's feelings and use it to nurture a kind of sense of compassion and empathy as well? <clears throat> well, there's other practices that go hand in hand with mindfulness such as compassion practices, yeah. loving kindness practices. And this is the thing. I've heard it said that the wisdom side is one wing of a bird and the compassion side is the other wing. You actually need both. 
Yeah. I actually lacked compassion and loving kindness. I was in my own bubble. I wanted to escape. And I, I was even, I didn't do it because I was given an ultimatum and I didn't take it. But I even almost left my children, which is shocking to me now yeah. that I would have done that. How could I have ever hoped to have been happy? Doing so that there, are, there are dangers then. There are dangers that you can become so absorbed in this kind of journey of inner discovery and inner, so. inner relief and escapism, I suppose, that mm. um, you forget your kind of responsibilities and your, your place here in the physical um, measurable world and just kind of lose yourself in the kind of spiritual journey. Yeah, that, that can, that's, that's a trap. Um, that can easily happen. It did to me. I think, I think this is why we, we need to be more well-rounded and we need, you see what secular mindfulness has also done has, re, and I'm not down on secular mindfulness. I think it's great. It does some amazing things, but I had a conversation with someone once and he said to me, what's ethics got to do with any of it? This is just being about being aware but yeah. you can be aware you can crack a safe if you look at a safe cracker they're super aware you know but what they're doing with that awareness is wrong but i mean it's, it's an awareness on a different level it's not you know it's not a scientific awareness a, a kind of um i mean you you hear uh i've forgotten his name now who's the um who wrote the uh 12 steps to life or whatever it's called the 12 um I, i've forgotten his name now but he, I he's think a, i know the book you mean yeah i know yeah. is it ray someone is it the prince uh, something principles uh yeah that's right i think so um okay. i think it's ray somebody i've seen that book around i've not read it but um but he is a very logical person he um has a lot of arguments about language and the way we use things but he's also very um emotionally detached i think so there isn't a lot of compassion he just says you know this this is society and society needs to function this way so we need these people over here we need those people over there and there's but there's no thought to these people actually being people it's a very logical approach mm. to life whereas i feel like mindfulness is and this journey inside is awareness of our own inner processes it's sort of embracing our emotions whether they're good or bad whether they hurt or whether they're they're liberating and joyous you know and understanding where they're coming from and why they're coming why they're you know and and using them as a tool so i mean there is a kind of personal morality in mindfulness i, I guess i mean can, can you can you be a sociopath and still practice mindfulness totally yeah <laughs> yeah you could um and you could probably use um, the skills gained for bad. I know um, I've even heard of snipers practicing mindfulness because it will make them much better snipers because their focus will be so much sharper. Their awareness of what's happening will be so much more powerful that it can really, I'm not saying snipers are sociopaths, no. but you absolutely could, yes. And I suppose if you are going into war and you're a trained killer, it's, it, 
gives you kind of tools for dealing with the emotions that arise from those situations. and disgust and yeah absolutely and i mean that john cabot zinn um uses uh meditation and and that kind of these kind of tools for dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder and things like this as well um so yeah so actually there is a a, potentially a darker side to it you know there is an unethical side to it so i mean yeah i mean yeah I, i would say i i wouldn't have called myself at all a good person um, before I started practicing. I think I've become a better person because of it. I'm pretty sure of it, pretty sure of it. Um, In fact, I know I have. Yeah. 100%. If I think back to some of the stuff I did, you know, 20 years ago, I wouldn't dream of doing it now. Wouldn't dream of doing it. Um, You know, hurting people's feelings and caring more about my myself than and everyone else can go to hell i'm not like that anymore and i think when you start digging deep into yourself you it's almost quite natural that compassion begins to arise because you touch something you touch something that many times brings you to tears and you're brought to tears because of the suffering in the world yeah many times so you're touching something deep within this connection that we all have that you otherwise would never ever touch and i think people quite often only get to touch that on their deathbed when they reflect back and go and i think this could be the whole meaning of hell to be stuck in a hospital bed with memories of dark things you've done without any consideration for anyone else and there's no time or energy to put any of it right that to me would be a hell i mean do you think a lot of people get into this and they they have their kind of moment of uh, realization i don't want to call it awakening because you know that's um uh, all this all this talk about being woke and all that kind of stuff it has all kind of wow oh, that's gone a different way that's quite a twisted that's just gone ridiculous yeah. I have nothing to do with that woke mentality. That's just, for me, that's just another excuse. That's just another extremism. Another is totally not what the Buddha or mindfulness is about. Mindfulness is, and what especially has, as the Buddha taught it, is about walking the middle way and looking at both sides. But the woke mentality is like angry and, it's very determined and it is not it's got it's not even close to very much of the of the ego um yeah very much so it's my way or nothing do you think there is um a but this this kind of this realization this kind of moment of um awareness you you struggled you had some dark times um i sort of came into it when i was at a very low point i know other people have had i mean even people like sharon salzberg and Jack Cornfield, they've both had um, traumatic experiences, hard, hard upbringings, abusive relationships and things like this. Do you think that's where it comes from? Do you think this is, that is the natural, when you've been broken down to a certain degree, do you think yeah. one of the natural responses is this kind of sense of awareness and inner, inner seeking? I do, yes. <clears throat> I think if you've well, we pretty much all are, but I think the darker your mind has 
being as a place to live, the more the slightest glimmer of light, you know, somebody turns on a switch somewhere and you see light at the end of, which is what happened with me. Yeah. You know, I saw this light and I was like, I ran for it. So yeah, it, it, uh, suffering is, um, I think it's a prerequisite. In fact, I can't imagine anyone who's not had difficulties wanting to sit for 10 days in a little room and not speak. You know, my colleagues think I'm absolutely crazy when I take my time out, my holiday time to go and sit for 10 days in, in silence and eat one meal and wake up at 4.30. They're like, I don't get it. I it do not get that. why you're doing this. Yeah. It's I mean, just sounds insane to them. Do you think, I mean, do you think that that is a kind of, our, our world, our, our jobs, our society, our responsibilities, paying the mortgage, all that kind of stuff is kind of squeezing us and hurting us and making us sick. And then we need that release almost. Do you think it's, do you think if, if we live a more natural life, we wouldn't need mindfulness? We wouldn't need um, <clears throat> these practices um, of meditation. I think if we lived a more natural life, uh, a life more in harmony with nature would be happier and there would be we'd naturally be more mindful we'd naturally be more aware but if you think back you know this goes back thousands at least two and a half thousand years ago and <clears throat> it goes it goes back to you know a time way before the technologies we have now you know a much more peaceful existence a, a time when people did live in complete harmony with nature and they still needed it. Yeah. You know, I think suffering, when I say suffering, I, people mistake what that actually means, but it, it doesn't mean like writhing in agony. It means um, the root, I do know the root of the word and everything, but it basically means to carry um, more than you can bear to attempt to carry more than you can bear um the unnecessary if you like so it, it's i liken it as i said earlier it's almost like we're carrying a rucksack around with us and we're filling it with rocks the whole time and that's what suffering is it's carrying more than you need to be carrying and it's yeah. in every every spiritual tradition talks about um, if you're even going to go into Christianity, they say things like God doesn't give you more than you can handle. That's another way of saying if you're in the present moment, you can take anything. And I firmly believe that. I firmly believe if we are in the present moment, we're fine. Yeah. And in fact, um, there's a great teacher. I really like him. Um, Shinzen Young. And he, he dropped a phrase in one of his audio books. And I was like, wow, that is probably the most powerful thing I've ever heard. And he said, no loss of mindfulness, no suffering. So if you're able to keep your mindfulness, if you're able to be in the present moment, you don't suffer. And maybe this is what awakening is. Maybe full enlightenment is that we are 
fixed in that present moment, our mind is trained to such a degree it doesn't dance to dance in a direction we don't want it to dance. And so suffering ceases. It reminds me of that, that poem. Um, and I can't remember exactly the words, but it, it goes along the lines of, um, if you can keep your head while all around you are oh, losing theirs. Absolutely. If by Kipling. Is that the one? And then it yeah, ends with yeah. the world and everything in it will be yeah. yours or something like that. And, uh, well, interestingly, um, he was brought up in India um, during, I think, I think during um, British occupation, he, he was, you know, quite well to do, probably something to do with the Raj. I, I really don't know. Um, but I know he spent his childhood in India and, and he's clearly influenced by, by Indian philosophy when he wrote that very clearly influenced. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we are <laughs> close to coming up to time. I know you've got other responsibilities and that kind of thing, but I've really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, so I will, I'll wrap it up for the moment. Um, if people want to find out more, you, so this community on Facebook is growing. It seems to be exploding at the moment. So it's, it's called mindfulness in daily life. Yeah. So is that just where you find it? You just uh, go to Facebook, search for mindfulness in daily life. Yeah, you can do that. Um, and that will bring you to us or I'm, I'm on Instagram quite a bit and that's at mindfulness man. I'm not, I'm actually more active on Facebook now because I, I left Facebook a long time ago, but now I, I think it's more intimate. You actually get to actually chat to people more. People will speak more. It's less hit and run. So yeah, mindfulness in daily life in Facebook is, that's growing really quickly. I've, I've certainly found your group to be one of the more friendly ones. I've, I have been a member of and left various groups around kind of Buddhism, Eckhart Tolle's philosophies, Alan Watts philosophies and things like that. And um, sometimes the, considering they are supposed to be uh, Buddhist stroke, mindful stroke, um, stoic groups, there's a lot of ego going on in those places. Oh, and people can be quite cruel when you come in with a, an innocent question. I've seen people yeah. um, being treated quite harshly. So yours, yours is one of the friendlier groups uh, to be I've um, picked about 10 of those guys out already. Oh, really? Yeah, I just, it, it's not a place for that. I, 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 you know, anybody that even remotely um, begins to stop flexing like that, I, I, I've got no time for it. It's, no, it's not nice. Well, I think it needs to be a nurturing environment, especially when mm. you're going into something like this and you can feel quite vulnerable because you're... Absolutely. You know, People are discussing their own mental health. You don't want some... Yeah. Some guy, you know, just ripping. Yeah, because apparently, according to him, you've got it wrong, even though there's no yeah. necessarily right or wrong. But um, but no, this is a fantastic. This time has gone so quickly. I couldn't believe it. Oh, you know, sorry. I thought we'd, we'd go on for much longer, but I'm going to leave it there. So uh, mindfulness in daily life and mindfulness man on Instagram. So yeah. thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Lovely speaking to you. And you as well. Thanks a lot. All right.
right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I got a lot out of it, and um, we were riffing quite well there on all different topics of mindfulness. I never thought of it as something that could be actually have a bit of a dark side to it. About um, it could be something that could become a bit of an obsession. Um, so I'm going to be exploring lots more areas um, in the next coming issues about how to be and how to be better. And uh, in my next conversation, I really get into some very interesting topics with America's uh, best-known life coach, Martha Beck. So I hope you enjoyed that one, and I hope you've enjoyed all the previous ones so far. Um, you know, I just do this on my laptop and on my phone, and uh, there's no reason why we can't use what we've got, uh, start where we are to, you know, achieve a life of greatness and of great things that we enjoy and make us feel content, enriched, and fulfilled. All right, thanks a lot.